you know, being mindful that what you learned in the beginning, um, if you do not continue to learn, your business will stagnate. And it's okay if this is a hobby for you, that's fine. Good on you. But if you want to make any money, even if this is a part-time gig, if you actually want to make money or if the money's not important, but the amount of hands that you get your book or your story into is important to you, then you must treat this like a business. JCV Art Studio. I've shortened my name. Um, for those who have turned tuned in for the first, you know, first podcast, second podcast, my name is Joanna. And today I have a very, very multi-published author, best-selling historical romance author with me, Celeste Barkley. Now, Celeste is joining us from California. I hope the weather is all right down there. We see some of the the fires and the flooding and yeah. And but Celeste is, she's written 31 books and she's published 30 historical romances. And uh she has spent 16 years in the classroom where she was a social studies and English teacher. And she is now a full-time author, entrepreneur, independent publisher, and mentor. We are going to talk about her historical romances, finding your writing tribe, and her upcoming new releases. Celeste, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. The date's been creeping up on my calendar, and so I'm happy to be here. I've been looking forward to this, too. Like, you are one of the first... um, uh, new podcast for the new year. You know, I took a, I took a good break in December, and uh, it's funny you say creeping up because I, I know it, I know it was creeping up for me, and I'm like, okay, do you even remember how to do this again, Joe? Come on, <laughs> right? So, anyways, I'm really interested in your writing journey. So, first, before we get into your career as an author. Were you interested in a career in international political law? I was. That was the original goal when I left for college. That was the goal all through college. That was the goal the first year of law school. And then I met this really handsome, dashing young Marine. And now we've been married almost 19 years. So we've had... I've had some career changes along the way, um, having mil- married into the military, and it's worked out for me. It, you know, I adapted and overcame, and so that was the original plan. But it has updated itself over the years. Yeah, yeah, that's so. That's that's life. That's life. I mean, oh gosh, I remember saying to my friends when I left college, I wasn't going to get married until I was thirty. I was going to travel. And sure enough, at 22, I meet this guy and I'm getting married and then I'm having children. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. We got married at 22, had our first son at 24, had our second son at 26. Um, and I say that because we are exactly the same age. I'm three days older than my husband. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So with your becoming an author, 
you were interested in international political law. So I'm curious to find out how you made the jump to becoming an author and writing that first book. Um, did certain events just kind of lead you down that path? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, shortly after we got married, we were probably married about three years or so. I kind of reflected on what have I been doing, you know, frequently throughout my life. And I felt, I realized that I had been teaching a lot. I had been a tutor. I'd been a professional high school and master's rowing coach, swim coach. And it dawned on me that that seemed to be the direction that my life was going in, was you know being called to be an educator. And so I spent almost 16 years in the classroom and about, I would say maybe seven years ago, something like that, I was recovering from surgery and I had watched all the Big Bang episodes that I could manage and I was starting to climb up the walls. So I was on my iPad scrolling through my local library's listings and I came across a historical romance. And I was like, you know, I like historical fiction. That's pretty much what I read. Let's give it a go. Let's see what historical romance is all about. And um, I'm usually pretty quick on the uptake. Uh, but I wasn't so much. And there were probably like five historical romances that I read before I realized they all end in a happily ever after, but I was completely enthralled those nail biting moments because I tend to read and I do write the Scottish Highlanders. So there's quite a lot of adventure and uh, suspense packed into them. And about, um, four years ago, I decided that I was going to try writing my first book, give it a whirl. And my husband was out of town. My kids were still going to bed at, you know, 830 or so. So I sat down and I started writing in August of 2017. And then life got in the way. School went back in session. I went back to being a semi-full-time chauffeur and all that momming stuff. And it just got pushed to the wayside. And then in January of 2018, my husband's appendix ruptured. Oh, geez. Spent, yeah, spent two weeks in the hospital. And after dealing with that, driving up and down the California highway, still in the classroom full time, still, you know, getting kids to and from everything. I just needed something cathartic. I was just really worn out. And so I picked up the manuscript again and finished it up. Um, I didn't know, you know, what I was doing with publishing at all. I knew that I have a fear, a failure and a fear of rejection. So I very quickly ruled out traditional publishing and decided to go with self-publishing. And I put the book up on Amazon and then started to learn what to do, not the advisable route. That's not the order in which you should do things. But I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my husband. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell my best friend. No one. Because I figured if I was going to fail at this, I would discreetly fail in private. And one book led to another and between books like two and three, I really intensively learned the business and by book three things took off. And within a year and a half, I left my teaching position Um, rather fortuitously. It was January of 2021 that I left Um, and I've been a full-time author for going on, I guess, two years now. That's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah. See, like I used to, it's, it, you know, we're talking about life and life events. I was writing in like 1999, 2000. And uh, at that point, being an indie author was not um, highly, like was not like what was actually looked down upon, right? Yeah, very stigmatized. Yeah. And then, you know, I went into being a personal trainer and a fitness instructor, because that was something I was interested in. And I put the writing aside and I keep hearing how in 2012, that was when um, being an indie author started to be recognized and it was Mm -hmm. taking off. And I thought typical me, that's when I missed the boat because I didn't start picking up writing again until 2019. So you can imagine your story is very encouraging to me. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, it wasn't even a blip on the radar back in 2012 at all. I was teaching, I was really happy teaching. 
Um, my kids were still really little at the time. And now, you know, as I know the business better and I know the history behind it, that really was a boom time, those first few years. And it's, it's been a long and arduous fight for indie authors to gain the respect and trust that they rightly deserve. There's yeah. still a lot of misconceptions about what it is to be an indie author. Um, so, you know, I think our our side of the industry, our side of the business has come a long, long way. Yeah. Um, and I'm very fortunate that there were so many indie romance authors that have already sort of blazed a trail to get us started. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Okay, so you didn't you didn't tell anyone in the beginning, okay? And like you said, no one, no one knew, right? And um, so, can you please tell our listeners how your mom found out that you were an author? Like I, I heard this story on a podcast, and I just loved it. I loved it. It's so like you know that just that's when our mothers find out. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Like, I think I had palpitations after my heart started beating again. Uh, so I do write under a nom de plume, a pseudonym, a pen name, whatever you want to call it. And so my personal accounts are separate from my business accounts on Instagram, but Instagram very rudely recommended me to my mother who had just joined because my uncle, her brother, and said, hey, you should really get on Instagram because my cousin, her nephew, lives in Australia. And it's a great, great way for us as a family to stay in touch, to be able to see each other's pictures. And so I got this email say, to my pen name saying, you know, um, I'm not sure where this is coming from. Your, your name doesn't seem to be right and matching up with these pictures. And that's how I realized, and I was like, no, that's me. And yeah, I've done this thing. And yeah, I have like three or four books published at this point because I write really steamy stuff. And, you know, my parents are European, um, you know, born and raised. And so that's just not a topic that we talk about in depth. And so, you know, I was, excuse me, hesitant to tell anybody, because not only is there stigma attached to being an indie author, there's still stigma attached to being a romance author. And so it took quite a while um, for me to get comfortable being able to say, this is what I do. Um, This is what I write. And even now, there are times where I kind of read the room and decide whether or not it's worth saying historical romance or historical fiction, because I do write historical fiction. Historical romance is just a subgenre of that. So yeah, um, that is how my family found out. Yeah. Okay. Instagram. It's that's, that's awesome. That is an amazing, that's such an amazing story. Um, And I find uh, I try to write romance. It's hard. Okay. Like, I would rather in like physically throw punches in the air, okay, <laughs> and duck and walk around the room seeing if I can move with my hands bound behind my back than write a steamy scene. Like I, I find if I've attempted it and for me it seemed very robot, like it's just wasn't in my comfort, you know, it just mm-hmm. wasn't in my comfort zone. And so to me, I, I see it as it's all writing, you know, and kudos to you. I mean, it's all writing, you know, it's just what your preference is. And I could imagine, you know, I don't even think I touched upon the research that must be involved when you're writing your books. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. You know, I was, a history teacher for a long time. Um, I've traveled pretty extensively through Europe. And so there were a lot of previously useless facts rumbling around in my head that I now can put to use when it comes to British history. Uh, But, you know, for each story, as it develops, um, you know, writing about Scottish clans and their history and the dynamics it does take quite a bit of research to be able to craft those because one of the things I pride myself on is trying to have really accurate history and weaving that into the story. So I'm not writing a textbook. I'm 
did that in the past and I'm not doing it anymore. No more curriculum writing, no, no more textbook writing, but making it interesting to um, the, the reader as part of my storytelling. So I would say for every book I write, there's probably anywhere between 10 and 20 hours of research. And it, it's kind of periodic. It's, it's as I'm writing, I will come across something that I'm not sure about that I need to, to research and look up. And then sometimes I fall down rabbit holes and I find in, interesting pieces of information that I squirrel away for another day or time, or it's just for my own edification. But yeah, it does take quite a bit of research in order to get it right. And, you know, my, my very first series, that wasn't a priority because I didn't have a lot of different clan dynamics. It was really about one solid clan, one family, but you know, my last series, the 15 book series was a lot about clan dynamics and a lot about the different battles and fights that they had. And so it did take time, you know, between what I already knew and what I had to learn for those specifics, but I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an adventure. It sounds like we write kind of the similar, because I know if I'm involved with writing, I'm writing my scene. Um, For example, I've got a character now who she's a nurse and my daughter is a nurse. And there's just times when, like I was telling her last night, I'm, I'm thinking of this scene where a soldier is going to be injured and I didn't want to pull myself out of the story. So I just, I learned this from NaNoWriMo where I just write X, Y, Z, space, mm-hmm. check with Ashley. So then yeah. I can search all those X, Y, Zs, right? You know, so, okay, okay. Okay, so I'm thinking, 2017 started seriously writing. I've heard you mention that you consider yourself a rapid writer. In 2020, you published 12 books. Okay, now... Like the, the, your stats are amazing. Okay. I see baseball stats and I'm like, okay. So then this year, February 8th, May 17th and August 2nd, you have a new book being released in your new series, The Clan Sinclair Legacy. Okay. So I'm wanting to know okay, how are you doing this? Because I I just recently have retired and I know with the help of NaNoWriMo, um, my book three, I was get, able to get the first like 100 pages pretty much done in that week. I had taken the week off, okay? And that was my focus. So I've spent, for me, 33 years as an assistant working at a desk starting at 8 a.m. And I just, I have to keep that schedule. You know, you can't just suddenly go, I'm not doing anything now, right? Like I'm not after 33 years of having that or that regiment, okay? So I'm wondering what practices have you found in your life that has helped you be a rapid writer? Well, I think the fact that I hold two graduate degrees. Um, the first one I did while I had a toddler and a, a newborn, I was pregnant and then had a newborn during it. And then the second one I had toddlers and I was teaching. I think it really taught me how to refine being able to be highly focused for a very finite amount of time and produce really high quality work, knowing that those were my only opportunities to work, you know, with the first one, it was during nap time. And then, you know, in the evening with the second one, it was the boys went to bed at eight o'clock and I worked from eight to 11, eight to midnight. And that's when I got homework done. And there was no ifs, ands, or buts. This is what had to be done. This is what I committed to. Nobody else was going to do it for me. So I parked my tuchus in front of the computer and I got going with it. And that has stuck with me um, as sort of a mindset, you know, and I, it wasn't entirely a new thing to me. You know, I'd already had a, an undergraduate degree that I did in three years. Um, I'd graduated high school in three years. So 
I have a work ethic. There's no doubt about that. I am an internally motivated person. I'm task oriented and goal oriented. So if I set myself up with something, it's going to get done or else it feels really stinky that I didn't get it done. And so when I started writing, you know, I was still in the classroom full time. So I would just snatch time here and there you know, while I was waiting for my kids for pickup or while they were at swim practice or during lunch um, on the weekends, you know, anytime that I could get. And now that I write full time, you know, I do binge write. I tend to write my books in two to three weeks because I like to stay in the flow of things. Um, I find my voice is much more, uh, there's more continuity to it when I write that way, but I sit down and I start writing. And I write until I've hit whatever word goal it was. When I first started writing, I didn't have word goals. I just wrote what I could write. But now it it actually helps me to turn off at the end of the day when I hit that word goal. Otherwise, um, you know, I I work from home. So my computer is always accessible. And if I'm not doing something with my family, I kind of feel compelled. You know, I can fill the time. I should be working. I have the time. And now when I hit my word girl, I can say, no, you know what, I'm going to watch some TV or I'm going to read a book or, you know, whatever it, it is, but I can turn off for the day. Um, but yeah, I'm a very much a sit yourself down and get on with it because yeah. this is what you got to do type yeah. person. Yeah. yeah. See, and it was like last year, I'd be asked questions. Um, how do you work full time? Right create art and do a podcast. And it just, you know, it's like ding, ding, the thing that like the points you were saying, you know, like snatching periods of time. That's exactly what I would do. You know, I'd get a 45 minute lunch break. Okay. You know what I'm doing? It's either writing or it's preparing questions for a podcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, it, it works. You know, I like, the routine that I have, it's really fulfilling the stories that I tell. It's catharsis to me to write. It's catharsis to other people to read my stories. It gives me escapism. It gives them escapism. And so I'm fortunate. You know, I, I joke and I say that I spend my days living in, you know, the land of make-believe. All I need is Mr. Rogers' little trolley going through, <laughs> you know, it's, it's perfect. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> okay. Okay. So we're going to get into your books. Okay. Um, now I'm wanting to know who your writing influences are or what book or spark made you gravitate to historical romantic fiction or historical fiction. I know I've read quite a few Diana Gabaldon. And I actually got to meet, I once used to belong to the Romance Writers of America. Mm-hmm. This is back in like 2000s. Okay. And she came out to, I think it was Victoria or Vancouver. And uh, that, that was pretty cool. So who are your influences or, or just what made you, because I tell you right now with everything going on in the world, romance sounds really good. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's that, that escapism. Um, you know, I have always liked historical fiction, um, you know, and it, it, books that are now considered historical fiction, but at the time were contemporary fiction. I read my way through the Brontes. I read my way through Jane Austen as a kid. I'm not a huge Dickens fan, to be honest. I know that's sacrilege, but I don't like it. He was verbose because he was paid by the word. But, you know, I went through all of those, um, you know, I read The Count of Monte Cristo and um, Robinson Crusoe and Treasure Island and all of those as a kid. If it was British literature, because my mom's English, I devoured it. We would go there over the summer, I would get books and I would bring them back and I would read for the year. And then eventually, like I said, about seven years ago, I kind of stumbled into historical romance. And I started out reading, um, you know, some Regency, but I, I soon realized that I really liked the ruggedness of the Scottish Highlanders. So 
I read all of Monica McCarty's Highland Guard and her other stories. I read all of Eliza Knight, Emma Prince, uh, Kira Montclair, Cecilia Mecca, um, uh, April Holthouse, uh, Suzanne Tisdale, read a lot of Catherine Levesque, all of those. You know, I just was one book after another and and just sort of plowed my way through until I got to a point where I was like, you know, I've read a lot of these stories. I've been a literature and composition teacher. Maybe I'll give it a whirl and write my own stories. Because ever since I was a kid, right before I would fall asleep, I'd have sort of like these scenes of different things that play out, maybe kind of like vignettes. And I finally thought to myself, well, maybe you should listen to these. They've progressed to, to Scottish Highlanders. If maybe they're the seed of an idea. And now I kind of have the rule that if the same sort of scene comes to me twice, then I have the foundations to a book. And it's not necessarily the beginning. It could be somewhere in the story, but I'll work forwards and backwards from that. And so having devoured all of those books was you know, the, the spark, um, that started. And now I've, I've met most of those authors and hobnobbed and, and collaborated with, and I'm friends with. And so that's, that's pretty darn amazing that's cool. to go from fangirling to being a peer and being a friend with yeah. these folks is, is pretty darn awesome. That is cool. That is cool. And as you were saying, the authors, you, you liked reading Daphne du Maurier. Yes. The one for me. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what makes your historical fiction novels different? If you were, yeah. Um, I would say that one of the hallmarks of my stories that readers have mentioned is that um, my couples tend to get together pretty early in the, the book. And so uh, they face a lot of external conflict uh, that challenges them. And there, there is internal conflict, but there's not a lot of, are we together? Are we not together? Are we together? We're not together. That's, that's not my style. Um, it's more of, are we together? Yes, we're together. How as a couple do we face these challenges that challenge us individually and challenge us as a couple how do we make this bond, this sort of soulmate relationship work when the world is conspiring against us? Cool. So that's one of the things that um, I didn't intentionally start that as my my style. That's just kind of my storytelling. And readers have commented about that. And it, it made me pause and think, oh, yeah, that is what I do. Okay. Um, seems to be working. Yeah, yeah. And then, as I said before, I, you know, I really work very hard to get my history right. And I do it because I want it to enrich the story. I want it to flavor what's going on. We read historical fiction and historical romance because we like the setting. We like the nuances and the ambiances of, of it. And so to do my stories justice, I enjoy putting it in there. I could completely fictionalize it and that's fine. I could take a lot of creative license and that's fine. That's what fiction is. You know, fiction is make-believe it's made up, but for me, I get personal satisfaction out of that. And I think my readers really enjoy it because they know going in that um, they might learn some historical facts they hadn't thought of before, but they're also going to you know, have some social topics and social relevance that's thought provoking, you know, that they, that some, that a theme that I approach in a book is a theme that is still current today. I just use it in a historical context, you know, okay. in my Highland ladies, I dealt with a lot of different things. Each book had a different um, social message, whether it was um, eating disorders, alcoholism, abusive family relationships, misogyny, um, manipulation, um, you know, PTSD, all of those things that are, are relatable still that are not, um, unfortunately not new social issues, but I could frame them in a historical context, you know, not because I have, I'm on a soapbox. It's just food for thought. It it was, um, a jumping off point. Cool. 
that's really cool. Okay, okay. So, can you tell our listeners what the new series, The Clan Sinclair Legacy, is about? Yeah, so it is the second generation of my first series, The Clan Sinclair. Uh, The Clan Sinclair had, or has, um, four brothers and their wee baby sister, who's feisty as can be. Um, Their father is still alive. He's the laird of the clan. And so this series is the children of all of those main characters. And I am weaving that together with my most recent series, the Highland Ladies, and children from those couples are going to pair off with the children of the clan Sinclair. So I'm, I have been purposefully creating this world that connects all of my series together. Um, in the very first book of this new series, Highland Lion, the one that comes out at the beginning of February, there's some scenes in there that connect the history between the clan Sinclair and my Viking glory series that shows the, the ancestry and how I've connected those, um, those two very different series together. I laid the foundation for that in Viking glory and how they, there was a connection to the McKay's um, and the Sinclair's. And so now it picks up on that. So they're all interwoven together. And through this series, I'm going to give some foreshadowing to how it connects to my pirate series. So it's one big world that I'm creating and interconnecting. So that's exciting, you know, figuring out the logistics of how to bring it all together. But um, yeah, I'm happy to be going back to to my roots with the Clan Sinclair and and picking up there and, and, you know, doing the second generation. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Okay. Wow. And keeping track of all that. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) in the beginning, I did not do so very well with that. There's a lot that is just rumbling around in my memory. Um, Frequent need to go back and reread things that I, I wrote, you know, 20 books ago, 30 books ago. But with this past series, The Highland Ladies, I finally kind of got my act together at the end of the series and wrote a reader's guide. So, um, you know, it's this this free book that is available for people who subscribe to my newsletter. And it's got um, about a 10% snippet of the very first book in the series, A Spinster at the Highland Court. And then it goes into how I crafted the series you know, how the characters came about, why I picked the settings, why I picked the themes. Um, And it just gives a real insider view. It's written sort of conversationally with the reader. It's not meant to be sterile, like a history book. Like I said, I've been there. I've done that. That's not the phase of writing them in anymore, but it really helped me kind of aggregate and encapsulate all the information from that 15 book series in one place And so now moving into book 33 that I've written, um, I'm working much harder to keep better notes and keep story Bibles um, from the get-go so that I'm not constantly having to flip back and and try and find out who I named what and what hair color I gave them and, and things along those lines. So just the practical side of it. And I think I'll probably continue to release reader guides along with each of the series going forward. So, and I you know, I've, sorry, I, I, I was just going to say, I've found that readers appreciate those inside views into to how the stories came about. Um, you know, even my foibles where I, I might've left a plot hole or I, yeah. because I didn't write things down well, might've had something that contradicted, um, you know, little things like that. My, the fallacies of it. And I think with, 31 books. I mean, with, and your following, your reader following, they, they're, they're glued to the facts. So I can imagine if, if something doesn't quite jive, they will mm-hmm. let you know, right? Like, yeah, I have a <laughs> um, book. What is it? Book f- one, two, three, four, book five of the Highland ladies is about, um, 
a young woman and book uh, 13, no, 12, 13 of the series. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I admit, I can't remember the numbers. Um, it's her younger sister. And, you know, there were a couple of things in there that I had written about this older sister and one of my, um, one of my advanced readers, when I got to the younger sister, she's like, um, when they have had these things in common, and I was like, oh my goodness, I totally forgot all about that. Yes, they absolutely would have had, you know, some of these habits in common. So fortunately she had pointed it out and it wasn't, um, it wasn't pivotal to the story. Yeah. It wasn't um, something that was really going to, you know, um, knock the story off its path. It was just a little nuance, actually, yeah. but it was kind of a nice one to be reminded of. So I'm fortunate. I have great readers. I have really great advanced reader um, team. And so they helped me catch little things like that. If I if I drop a beat here or there, they, they're like, hey, you might want to take a look at this. I noticed, you know, ABC, XYZ. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. So thinking about your characters. Wow. Okay. Sisters, brothers, aunts, different clans. I find at times it's just as much fun writing about the bad character or the antagonist. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you have your heroine and your protagonist and you've got your bad character. And I am not the type of author who will write a three-page interview about my character. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, yeah, you're, and you're yeah. shaking your head. Yeah. And I just, sometimes I find that I'll get a visual in my head. Okay. Uh, and I have this, this bad character named Cicely. You know, and she's this line as a realtor in this this tight black suit. And do you find sometimes it's just as enjoyable to write the evil character as it is writing the heroine? Or yeah, yeah. I mean, my my stories, as I said before, all have external conflicts, and so there's always a bad guy. It's not just the push and pull of a relationship. There's, there's always specifically something suspenseful that's keeping them apart. Um, and so, yeah, you know, this, the last book of the Highland ladies I wrote, um, and I used a a real person from history. I took some creative license in condensing the timeline um, here and there so that I could use different historical facts. Uh, but this guy was, you know, not a good guy. He was pretty stummy. And, um, you know, in history, this particular clan, the Dunbars outsmarted this, this English guy, um, you know, at every turn, a woman outsmarted this guy at every turn, but he was pretty atrocious. You know, he held, um, one of the character's brothers hostage thinking that it would get this woman to back down um, of this, this castle that he'd laid siege of. And she came out, this is a real person, Agnes Dunbar. She came out and she said, well, if you kill my brother, then I'm not just a countess through marriage. I'm going to be a countess through family. Cause I'm going to inherit his land. So if, if you don't like me now, you're really not going to like me after you kill my brother, you know, <laughs> things along those lines. And then in another book earlier in the series, Um, I use a real life character and a real life um, location, Chillingham Mm -hmm. Castle. It's a real place in England. It is supposed to be the most haunted castle in Great Britain um, because King Edward, the first official torturer, lived there. And so he is a bad guy in my story. And I use quite a bit of historical fact there. And in my Viking Glory series, I have a villain that crosses over the entire series. So each book kind of progresses. You can read them as standalones because the couples have their own, you know, love story in them. But, you know, he's a bad guy who carries over the space of five books. So, um, you know, he gets more evil as he goes along and he's got co-conspirators that are pretty wretched too. And so I do write, I do enjoy writing the antagonist because that antagonist fuels my couple and what they have to go through and the trials and tribulations they have and how 
it cements their relationship and deepens that partnership. And, um, you know, and that's really the crux of the story is it's the evolution of that relationship, but they need some challenges to go through, um, you know, so that they, they work together even more. Cool. Oh, wow. Wow. I was just, yeah, that's, that's so neat. I haven't done that yet. I haven't taken, I thought about it. I know with the last book, I so enjoyed writing about like the bad person that I, I questioned myself whether I was going to kill the bad person off or have the person carry over. So I haven't done that yet. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah. And I've, I've had a couple of characters who were um, you know, minor antagonists here and there, just um, snarky, mean-spirited characters who have later gotten sort of their redemption story and you learn why they were the reason, you know, they were, um, and they had their own love story and, and it works. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I kill off a lot of people I and mean, it's <laughs> the middle ages, like there's battles, there's maiming, there's wounding, there's death, like you know, it, it, it's not super gratuitous, but if you're going to read my books before warned, yeah. people die, yeah. you know, yeah. it's, it's not, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs that not everybody gets to live happily ever after some of yeah. them, not so much. That's great. That's great. All right. So I, like I said, I've been listening to podcasts that you've been on and you were interviewed by SoCal. Am I saying that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So-Cal. Southern California. SoCal. Okay. SoCal Voices, and you mentioned that you hadn't planned on writing different series, and I, I think you just touched on this a little bit when you're talking about your minor, some of your minor characters, but you said your readers started inquiring about your minor characters? Wow. Yeah, so that series was only supposed to be 10 books, and it wound up being 15, <laughs> um, because readers would say, oh, I loved so-and-so, like, um, in... Uh, a hellion at the Highland Court. Dominic Campbell was um, a secondary character. He's the younger brother of the hero. Um, and people were like, well, I really liked him. And there seems to be some anguish in him and angst. And when's he getting his story? When's he going to get a proper love story? And I kept thinking, oh, well, I haven't really planned on him getting one, but I guess he is now, <laughs> you know, things along those lines. Um, one of those sort of minor antagonists um, from the third <clears throat> book in the series, people were like, so what's going to happen to her? You sent her off to a, a nunnery. Is that where she's going to stay? And then it was like, well, no, I guess not. I'll figure <laughs> out a way to, for her to have to leave and, yeah. and, you know, people were like, well, I really didn't like her going into it. I mean, she was just wretched in that first story that she appeared in, but now I totally understand. And, you know, it's so tragic and she's so happy now. And I'm like, yes, score. I did it. I redeemed them. Um, so yeah, inadvertently it went from sort of a, a 10 ish book plan to 15. And finally I had to cap it off and just say, y'all, this series is is done. Uh, It's time to move on from a business sense. It was time to to move on from a creative side. It was time to move on. And then people are like, well, what's going to happen? We don't want to forget about them. And I'm like, don't worry. I got you. Their kids are going to marry into this series. So they're going to reappear. Don't worry. They are not lost and gone forever. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome to have that reader involvement. That is awesome. It feels pretty darn cool. Yeah. I got to tell you, it yeah. really does because it's something I never aspired to that I just kind of fell into, um, you know, four years ago, I never would have imagined, you know, even the word fan associated with my name or loyal reader associated yeah. with my name, but it's, it's awesome. That interaction. I love hearing back from readers and getting their impressions and knowing that I've crafted these stories where the people feel real and that they're invested in them. You know, that's, that is a definite sense of accomplishment that I have woven stories that, that really pull people in like that. Like I'm proud of that. Yeah. Yeah. And you should be. Yeah. Yeah. And I find sometimes it's at the most, um, you know, you're not even expecting it. Like you're, you're I remember uh, the, the, the day I went into the office and 
a staff member came up to me and it's just the little questions of, so is this guy, Adam, is he legit? Like I, I've said this on another podcast. Is he legit? Is your heroine Jade going to get the runaround from, you know, and it's just, yeah. you know, I'm at work. I'm like, she's talking to me about the char- this, this character. And I'm like, yeah, yeah yes, he's legit. It's okay. <laughs> right? yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. You know, because they become like real people to me. I spend a yeah. hundred hours with them sitting, crafting, you know, a few hundred hours oh, yeah. with them. And so they, you know, they feel pretty real. And I remember when I finished the clan Sinclair, because it was my very first series. It's how I got started. Um, it kind of felt like my last kid had left for college. I felt like an empty nester. Like it was really quite emotional for me to, to know that that series had come to an end because it was how I got started. And, you know, once I jumped into my next series, my next series and, and so on and so forth, it doesn't feel that way because I know there's an ongoing future for my writing, but it really, you know, they had felt like real people by the time I had finished writing them because, you know, I wrote that book or that series in five books and no six books, sorry, in the space of pretty much a year and some change. And so, yeah, they just, it was, it was emotional to, to let them go. So that's part of the reason why I'm excited to come back with the Clean Sinclair legacy and, and sort of loop back to where I started. Excellent. Okay. Okay. Now on SoCal Voices, when I was listening to it, one of the things you said that really struck me is you had said in the beginning of the podcast that, and I have it in italics here, when you were referring to your books, when you were refer- referring to your writing, you said, this is a business. And I thought, wow, okay. Now, you have three books being launched this year. So very broad question. What is the biggest mistake an author can make when launching, be it book one, book two, book three? Because like I say, you, I remember you saying, this is a business. And that really struck me. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, at, at this point, I have three books on pre-order for this year, yeah. but I will have more than three release. Yeah. I've got some other outside projects um, that I'm doing. I'm in two anthologies. I'm working on a multi-author project where there's four of us and we'll each write two books. Um, There will be probably at least another one or two from the Clan Sinclair legacy that that come out this year. Uh, And so my timing, my projects, they are strategic. You know, my my, um, anthologies and my multi-author projects I love the authors that I work with. They're personal friends of mine. They're authors that I I read and enjoy, but it is a strategy, um, you know, to to collaborate with these other well-known authors. There's a strategy to when I release my books and how far apart they are so that I can put in other projects in between, or I give myself time to um, advertise and position these books. And it took me, purposeful um, learning and training to understand these things. When I first got started, I just put that first book out into the ether and then said, oh, I should probably figure out, you know, who my target demographic is. How do I reach them? Um, How do I advertise? What does it mean to be exclusive to Amazon? All the things that you should probably do before you launch your first book. I did after because I knew I had this idea for these, this five book, which eventually became a six book series. Um, And so between one and two, I was like, okay, well, I should start learning this. And so I started researching. And one of the things that I um, quickly discovered is that there's a lot of articles out there about writing that are not written by actual authors. Um, And so they were not as useful as they could be. You know, one of them uh, suggested that I go on Amazon and try and contact, you know, top reviewers in my genre and just send out cold emails to them. Well, that was not an advantageous strategy at all. It wasn't a use, good use of time. It didn't give me um, a return on that investment. 
So I started, you know, looking for places where indie writers and indie published authors were talking about the business. And that's when I started to learn about how to create an advanced review team and why there's benefit to that and, and things along those lines. So the biggest mistake that I would say that I made was not going into this well-prepared, which is not my MO at all. Um, but I had done this on a, a whim. I wanted you know, some escapism and something cathartic and it worked out for me in the end, yeah. but it took, um, it took purposeful learning once I realized, hey, this is something that I do want to do. I want to um, get my book into people's hands. I think they'll enjoy my storytelling. So that's what I would say is, you know, take time to learn what your options are between hybrid, indie, trad, um, you know, traditional yeah. hybrid being a small house or whether you do some traditional, some self-published look at those options, figure out what's going to work for you. If you decide to go the traditional route, really learn how to write a query, how to um, reach out and and take the appropriate steps to getting the agent, to working with a publishing house, learn those things. If you decided to go the indie route, learn what it is to pick your platforms uh, and retailers, learn what it is to, you know, format the books and, and why it's worth being maybe in the red for a little bit upfront by getting a cover artist and getting a professional editor, you will make it back in the end tenfold um, and do that, do yourself a favor. And, And if you've already started the journey, it's not too late to learn. You know, this is an, an ever changing, ever growing industry. And so, you know, being mindful that what you learned in the beginning, um, if you do not continue to learn your business will stagnate and it's okay. If this is a hobby for you, that's fine. Good on you. But if you want to make any money, even if this is a part-time gig, if you actually want to make money, or if the money's not important, but the amount of hands that you get your book or your story into is important to you, yeah. then you must treat this like a business. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Even if it's a part-time, even if you go the traditional route, you have to have that mindset, um, which can be really scary and overwhelming. But essentially the long and the short of it is just treat it seriously. Treat it as an endeavor that matters to you, that has worth to you, however you define that. And then, you know, you'll make money off of it, or you'll have the satisfaction of knowing people have gotten your book, it's in their hands, things like that. But if you just kind of toss it out into the ether and hoping that it's going to stick, it won't because there's millions of books available. So there's an abundance of, you know, choice and a scarcity of time. So how do you get people to pick your book? Yeah. You have to push it. You have to be okay with that and going beyond just your friends and family. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Good point. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. You know, because I think sometimes with, I know for me at times I will just get so involved and in just wanting to, I so enjoy like you so enjoy writing so enjoy creating the sto- these stories, these peak characters, this world. And then it's like, okay, now you need to think of the business aspect mm-hmm. of this. And it, it just hit me the other day. I'm walking the dog. That dog is getting so many credits in the next book. Right? <laughs> walking the dog. And I just, you know, thinking, okay, business aspect of it. Thinking about this podcast coming up. And I thought, Joe... You had your own personal training business. Follow what you did when you were doing personal training, you know, mm-hmm. like, and once I, so once I, th- that hit me, I thought, okay, think about what you did when you were selling personal training sessions, mm-hmm. you know, classes, right? So, okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Celeste. I really appreciate that. All righty. So, we're just going to kind of wind it down here and 
I know this is going to sound like a lame question here after <laughs> 31 books. <laughs> What's next? Okay. <laughs> More books, you know, um, I've got plenty of stories to tell. I write in series. So those secondary characters eventually often get their own stories. It sparks the next one. So more of the same, more writing, um, continuing to invest in my business as an authorpreneur. Um, There are times when I miss teaching. Um, I don't miss being in the classroom, but I miss teaching. And so I do seminars and I, I work with clients and things along those lines to help. Um, I generally don't work a lot on the craft side, even though I spent so many years teaching composition and literature, I tend not to, to do that. But I, I work with a lot of um, aspiring and emerging authors, kind of getting them on the right path, helping them create that business plan, understanding the different things that go into becoming an authorpreneur, even if you're traditionally published. Um, there's a lot that rests on authors' shoulders now, even with traditional publishing houses. So those sorts of things, continuing to do the consulting and teaching some seminars here and there, really enjoy that. I get a lot of fulfillment from, from that. And then the writing um, and continuing to, to build my, my catalog of books and interacting with readers. And, you know, this is a a career path that is very mobile. I can take it wherever I go. It's one that, um, you know, I don't think that I'm going to want to retire from, like I would have something else, you know, from teaching or, or whatnot. So keep on keeping on. Yeah. So, and you just, I've, uh, I'm glad you brought that up about the seminars up because I just forgot to ask you about that. When I was on your website, I see you offer seminars. And, you know, for me, the topics such as marketing versus advertising for authors jumped out at me. Um, You had other seminars, self-publishing, demystifying, and beating back the stigma. So are any of these seminars online? That's what I was wondering. Um, There are a couple through... Uh, San Diego Writers, Inc. and um, what is now Orange County Romance Writers, but those are our member only okay. um, seminars. Uh, I have various podcasts. I have some uh, links to some of them uh, on my website where I talk about different things, some of it being okay. the business side. I do work a lot one-on-one um, with clients. I've thought about you know, recording and putting up sort of class style seminars. Honestly, it just is something that I have not made the time for in amongst all the other things. Uh, But, you know, when I do, um, when I do seminars, especially for an organization, San Diego Writers Inc., um, because I'm based in San Diego, those are generally open to the public. And so I will post on my social media, you know, hey, if you're interested, come sign up for this and you can see me online. Um, so yeah. You okay. Know. Good to know. Good to know. Okay. Okay. So I'm asking you my favorite question, which I've asked other authors and it was fun to, it's always fun to kind of tweak, tweak, tweak this question. Okay. So imagine Celeste, you are taken back in time and you discover Serafina the end. Mm-hmm. Serafina Drogos? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. On the pirate ship. What would she say to you? Um, get off while the getting is good. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're about to encounter the Barbary pirates and you know, there's some abductions and smuggling and, and all of that stuff. But, uh, you know, I think that she would say, love comes in the most unexpected places and um you know you you are a product of your your history and your past but you don't have to stay there there's there's always bright opportunities um 
you know, sometimes bad boys are good boys. I think she'd have plenty to say, you know, she's the heroine from the Scarlet Blade of the Sea um, for my Pirates of the Isles series. And um, that is my steamiest series. So she'd probably have plenty to say about, about that too. Celeste, this has been a blast. I have had a really good time chatting with you and I will... I will be on your website, you know, checking thing, checking out seminars and checking out podcasts that you've, you've recorded. And thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed chatting. Good. Okay, Celeste. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.